quick question to start off with. Hands up if you have everything in your life that you want. Some, oh, a few people, close. Not a trick question, it was just a, a, genu- a genuine question. It's interesting, isn't it? Thinking about that. Do we have everything we want or actually do we have everything we need but there's lots of things that actually we think we really want? I don't know, slightly two different words, maybe slightly different. Do we have everything we need or do we have everything we want? And if there's a mismatch between the two, is there something wrong with our desire or, or, or what is it? There's something really important, I think, going on at the heart of this psalm that we're looking at tonight. I hope is going to begin to unpack and answer sort of some of those questions. We're coming to the end of our series that we've had on David, haven't we? We're looking at some of the ups and the downs of his life. Some of those undulations we've covered, some of them we've missed out. Uh, on our story so far. Remember, we started, didn't we, with David as a young boy being anointed by the prophet Samuel, told he was going to become king of Israel, and he had to wait a long time for that to happen. We also followed his battle with Goliath, and then after that, his having to flee and hide for his life for a long time from the then current king Saul, that long period of waiting for God to come through with all his promises. Learned about his friendship with uh, uh, Jonathan, and then him becoming king and him bringing the ark back into the center of the city, back into Jerusalem. And then the last couple of weeks we looked at his biggest uh, error, or well, the biggest error that's certainly recorded in scripture for us, um, how he went down that slippery slope with Bathsheba and the horrendous consequences from that, both for him but also for others as well. And we're finishing off tonight uh, by looking at probably the most famous of all 150 psalms there are in the Bible, Psalm 23. And it begins with this famous line, doesn't it? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. Or as I'm going to be looking at tonight, actually how it's translated more contemporary now, and most people think this is a better translation. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. But before we get into it, I don't want us to think because we've finished on that are sort of following through the story of David with that Bathsheba and the consequences of that, that sort of God's use of David stopped at that point. Because actually the story continues after that. We could have had another whole, another eight weeks at least on David. David kingship was not defined by that error. The story continues with uh, further rebellion There's further adventures and ups and downs as well. There's some pretty horrific stuff happening among uh, some of David's children. Some incest going on. Uh, There's a coup by one of them, meaning David has to flee for his life uh, again um, and leave everything behind. Um, But David is eventually restored and has a long and godly kingship after that where he listens to God and even prepares well for his son Solomon to take over kingship from him. Israel prosper under him and become established. So if you have got any spare time over Holy Week, 
do continue looking at that from um, 2 Samuel chapter 13 on. We got to chapter 13, you can continue reading some of the adventures there. It's, real, it's like a real life Game of Thrones, some of this stuff. Anyway, let's turn to Psalm 23, shall we? So we're looking at this psalm, um, not only because it was written by David, and we're not choosing it because it's popular either, but because I think it's actually a really good summary of what made David stand out as the best king. In fact, what made God choose David over everyone else to become king? It's because at this psalm, it kind of explains where David's heart is at. This whole sermon series we're doing has been called After God's Heart. David, even though we've seen he was flawed, he was the best human king Israel ever had. And that's because he trusted God in the good times and in the bad. And I think all of us here, we've had times, I expect in our life, that have been good and that have been bad. And I think this psalm can have great relevance and speak to all of us, no matter what situation we are going through right now. There is a challenge and an encouragement to all of us in both good and bad situations. I think the whole psalm is pretty much summed up by that first line that I've mentioned already. This declaration of confidence that David says right at the beginning. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. If you remember nothing else from the entire sermon series, that's the line I would like you to remember and reflect on. And think how relevant and its truth is for you. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. That was David's attitude for his life. Is the Lord your shepherd? How do you know? What does that mean? Do you really lack nothing? How can that be when so few of us put our hands up at the start? Let's have a look and see what the rest of this psalm says. I think it's really interesting that David starts this famous psalm with this line, the Lord is my shepherd, because David, when we first met him, or first heard him described, what was he doing? He was tending sheep, wasn't he? He was once a shepherd himself as a young boy, having to care for, protect, and tend for his father's sheep. It was a dangerous job back in Israel, in the countryside that had uh, wild lions and and bears and all sorts out to get them, uh, robbers and, and bandits as well. And it was pretty parched and arid landscape in and around that area as well. And uh, let's be honest, apologies if you're a big fan of sheep. Sheep as well are not the brightest animals on the planet, are they? They cannot really survive well without help and uh, guidance. They get themselves into all sorts of troubles if you leave them to their own devices. They have a tendency just to simply follow the crowd wherever it's going. If they get isolated, they're scared of anything that's moved, and rather than run away, quite often they will just freeze in total fear and panic if something really scary comes along. If they're relaxed, they can quite often as well just wander off on their own and get lost. Is this working? There we go, it is. Meet Sheila. This sheep is called Sheila. 
I don't know if you remember that. Uh, she, Sheila made the news a few years ago, um, because this is a miracle, by the way, because this was a lost sheep that was found in Australia six years after it went missing. Looks quite cute and cuddly, doesn't it? But actually, when it was found, it was not in good shape. It could barely see, as you can see. It's got um, its fleece is growing over its eyes, and uh, yeah, so it couldn't see. It could barely move as well. It was found um, just alongside a, a country road in Australia. It was also underweight and malnourished. Without a shepherd caring for Sheila, her fleece hadn't been cut, hadn't been washed and cleaned. She had parasites and and all sorts growing in there, but also inside as well. When the fleece was uh, shorn, they weighed it. It weighed 21 kilos. She's pretty cuddly and cute to look at. It looks nice and full and fluffy and healthy. But underneath, she was malnourished, dirty, and unhealthy. And that's her after she was, Sheila was shorn. She was lucky that she was found. Most sheep that wander off in Australia would not survive. I don't know how she survived for that number of, for that number of years. They would have been snared, caught by the perils of nature, particularly in Australia. They have so many deadly animals, don't they? Goodness. Anyway. Back to the psalm. David is in full knowledge of the neediness of sheep. Yet he says this, King of Israel, the Lord is my shepherd. He likens himself to a needy sheep. The king is saying he needs guidance. He needs nourishment. He needs thirst quench. He needs help and protection in his life from something other than himself, from God. This opening line of the psalm, I think, is a challenge and a comfort to us. It's comforting because it places us under the incredible care of this diligent and loving God, shepherd, that we have. But I think it's challenging because it forces us to sort of lift our focus from ourselves and think, actually, we need to be fed by something more than just what we want. We need to be people that look to God, to strive for a closer relationship with him, to feed off him, to get nourishment from God, recognize our, our position and our significance comes from being in his presence and close to him and nothing else. Is the Lord your shepherd? Is God where you get your meaning, your significance from? Are his words where you try and find your nourishment from? Do you seek wisdom from him to quench your thirst for meaning and answer in your life, for guidance to those tough questions? If that's the case, how much time do you spend speaking and listening to God? The psalm continues with, uh, after this opening line with this beautiful picture. My mind immediately goes to the English uh, countryside uh, where I hear these words. 
I know it would be different in Israel, but um, I picture this beautiful meadow with a refreshing, oh, refreshing stream next to it. Uh, peaceful, safe, green, sun shining, shade from a few oak trees, perhaps, if you need it. Farmers nearby for protection. Just heaven for the sheep. For David, in, in this psalm, he says this is what happens when God is our shepherd. He will make us rest We can feed off the the goodness that he provides. Drink from the waters where he leads you. He allows these things to refresh our soul. And God will lead us down right paths as well. David is saying, time spent trusting God is good time. When things are going well, I don't know about you, but it can often be much easier to think if things are going well It's all down to me and how great I am. Temptation to think that what we have is earned and it is ours by right. Aren't we great? Look what I've achieved. But David in this psalm says he recognizes that all good things come from God. And it's easy to forget that in life. It's easy not to trust God. And it's easy as well, not just to trust him, but those things that we have is to use them to replace God, to find our nourishment and our our meaning from those things instead. Things that really can leave us dry and hungry. We can do it in big or small ways. Comparison is one of the biggest ways, I think. We try and make ourselves feel big and healthy and important. Uh, I like cars, and uh, I can drive my car at times. This is a confession time of me, and I see the cars that other people are driving, and I can feel slightly envious, I have to be honest, when someone is driving a car that I would absolutely love to own, but no, it's well out of my price range, and I'm never, ever going to have the luxury of owning that. I should probably stop watching car programs. (laughs) But... It doesn't have to be cars. Um, But actually, Armenian significance doesn't come from what car we drive. But when I do that, I feel small and insignificant because I'm just driving my Nissan Qashqai, which is a nice car, by the way, in case you drive one as well. We can do it with all sorts of things. We can think, oh, I feel important if I get this job. If I move into a house, which has got that one extra bedroom. If my salary hits this point my clothes are the right clothes, all kinds of things. We think that can make us feel important and significant. And if we try and feed off that, actually we might look nice and fluffy in the world in the eyes of others. But actually if we're not feeding off what God says about us and trusting in God's way underneath, we're going to be malnourished and smelly and dirty and unclean and in need of serious help like Sheila was. Those things I mentioned aren't necessarily bad, but God just doesn't want us to find our meaning and significance from them. We're to feed off his words. For David and for us, it's not about looking good, but it's about trusting in God for what he provides and for his glory. Did you notice that in the psalm as well? It says there, all these things in the good 
in the good times. End of verse 3. For his name's sake. God provides good things for us. For his name's sake. But David didn't just say all these things and have this wonderful picture. I should have shown that slide. I'm not very good with slides, am I? Anyway, David didn't just say all these things because uh, he was thankful because he was king and he had a lot of yeah, objects and wealth compared to most. He said this in full knowledge of the incredible tough times he went through. In fact, a lot of people believe that David wrote this Psalm 23 in a time when he was actually not the king, when he was hiding in the caves, when he literally had nothing and it had all been taken away from him. As well as that green pasture, we get the second half of the psalm. And he says this, I'm going to read it again. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, literally the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. I said earlier when I think things are going well, we can tend to become a bit prideful and think, yeah, how great are we? How we deserve those things and those blessings. I think when we go through tough times, we kind of can go the other way, can't we? We ask tougher questions about God. We can think, God, where are you? I don't deserve this. Why aren't you protecting me? Why are these things happening? And they are big questions. And I'm not going to seek to answer them all. But just point to what David says in this psalm. And also, yeah, yeah, just point to what David says in this psalm. David, in this psalm, even during those really tough times, death of close people, losing of everything. Remember, he knows good times as well. He still sees the Lord as his shepherd and he still thinks he lacks nothing in those places. The valley of the shadow of death, this is not working very well, is a real valley, actually, in Israel, and think, I'm hoping, if Google is to be believed, that is the valley of the shadow of death. Right there. It's a passageway in between the mountains, as you can see. That is a well, it's kind of a ravine, and it takes people from the lower, the lower pastures up to the higher ones. And it was a very dangerous uh, valley to walk through. The wild animals could easily be hiding uh, in rocks and crevices above, able to be totally unseen by shepherds and sheep. But also um, bandits and robbers could easily hide and uh, spring traps as well on unsuspecting flocks and shepherds. It was a real and dangerous place, but it was the easiest way and one of the only ways to get sheep up to the higher pastures that they needed to get to in that arid landscape in the summer where there would be still be green things that the, the sheep could feed off. So in this real and dangerous place, David says God is there. In fact, he's even closer. Because we see in that, uh, 
The valley is narrow. The sheep would really be squished in, close to the shepherd, much closer than in those green and good pastures. And we have this rod, which was for protection against enemies, and a staff as well for hoiking sheep closer to the shepherd if they wandered too far. Is God closer in those tough times? He's there, I think, even if we can't sense him. One of the things about being a minister in the Church of England as well is uh, I get to do a, a reasonable amount of funeral services. This uh, Psalm 23 is one of the more popular ones that people choose at funerals. And I'm sure a lot of you have been to funerals. Maybe you've heard this uh, reading at one of them. One of the things I like to do at a funeral, I think they're about, is um, I like to give thanks, obviously, for the life of the person that has died, to recall and remember the good uh, that they was in their life, the good things that people remember for the good that they've done. But as well as that, recognize it's a really difficult time because the people there are mourning that there's going to be no more memories that they're going to share and make with that person. There's hurt there in the pain of death. And this psalm is chosen because I think it kind of links both of those things together. The good and the bad. It provides hope and clarity in both of those moments. It gives hope even in the face of death and difficult times that people are walking through. David's faith in God, even in the toughest times, leads him to write the final line of this psalm. Surely I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. David's confidence that he lacks nothing is not about having an easy life or having all the worldly possessions or not. It says that even in the worst, God is with me and there is a path through it to a better place. God is leading me through to a better place. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. David is confident that God will be his shepherd, leading him through, even guiding him into eternity if the worst happens. David knows he lacks nothing if God is with him because there is nothing that can happen to him that's going to stop God being his shepherd. There is always a future, always a way out, always hope with God. I don't know if you can remember back to the reading we had last week. We didn't, um, when Peter spoke, he didn't cover all of it. But um, when that first uh, son that David had with Bathsheba uh, died, do you remember the, the words that David, the first words that David said to his servants after he started eating again? David said, I cannot bring him, the son that died back, but I will go to him. That was what he said. Even in this time when David had plenty, he trusted in a God beyond what he could see. Even in this time well before Jesus, before the cross, David had a confidence in this awesome, powerful God in whom even the worst was not their end. Even death could not defeat God. 
the Lord is our shepherd. We do indeed, all of us here, lack nothing when we trust in him. What happens when we do this? Is my final point. What will the result be? I think when we do this, we find that uh, goodness and love follow kind of like behind us, like a, a wake of a ship, reaching and touching the world that w- around us when we're guided by God. I want to mix metaphors for a moment. I'm going to start talking about um, ships. And one of the important things that you have to uh, think about with ships when they're designed is, is particularly important for larger ships. My dad worked in larger ships, which is why I know a little bit about it. One of the really important things you need to consider is uh, when they're designed is how they're going to cut through the water. The shape and the angle of the bow, the width of the ship, the speed you think you want it to go, the shape at the back, the depth and position of the pillars. Because actually when you cut through water, you know, you, you see it, you see ships leave a wake, which is the waves after them. And it starts with the bow. If you have the wrong shaped bow, you can create troughs along the side of the ship, which can make the own ship really unstable, particularly if there's uh, waves as well and can therefore make it uh, capsize, or you can be guiding water away from the propellers so you can never uh, go as fast as you want it to do. Or you can also make, actually, you can make pretty huge waves that are dangerous for other ships as well. When they design ships, they need to consider that because they don't want uh, they don't want a lot of wake or wasted energy in making a ship move and go forward. David says in this psalm, "If we trust God as our shepherd, says goodness and love, surely goodness and love will follow." What follows behind when we trust God, when we allow Him to steer, is a goodness and a love behind us. That's what we leave behind. That's what impacts others. That's a pretty um, white uh, wake there. Not massively inefficient, but you want something that looks sort of a bit more gentle and serene like that. Lots of, although it is pretty white if you zoom in close enough. But you want waves that just go out, ripple out, have an impact on the world. Can you imagine what it would be like if we were people that were really able to fully trust God as a whole church, not just us here, but a whole church around the world, more in our day-to-day lives than we currently do, little by little. The impact that would have rippling out into the world, trusting God, finding our meaning and our nourishment from him. Let me read you some words from John's Gospel as we kind of finish. These are Jesus' words. I'm reading from the message translation, but do have a look at them later. They're in chapter 10 in your Bible if you want to. This is Jesus speaking. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd puts the sheep before himself. The shepherd sacrifices himself if necessary. A hired man is not the real shepherd. The sheep mean nothing to him. If he sees a wolf and comes, he runs for it, leaving the sheep to be ravaged and scattered. He's only in it for the money. I am the good shepherd. I know my own sheep, and my own sheep know me.
I have other sheep in addition to those that already know me. I need to gather them and bring them too so they'll all also recognize my voice. It will be one flock with one shepherd. Jesus is saying he is the good shepherd. He's talking to the disciples, recognizing his voice. He wants us to recognize his voice too, to trust in him, his words, to feed off them, to be guided by them, to find our meaning and our significance and our value through them. Will you trust Jesus' words and his wisdom in this shepherd that laid down his life for us? Will you trust God in all circumstances, knowing that he is able to provide a way forward? There is no situation, nothing that can stop his love from leading you through. You lack nothing in any situation with God as your shepherd. It won't always be easy, but it is always possible to point your bow towards Jesus and follow in his way. Goodness and mercy will follow and the world will be transformed. Amen.